Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. All right, welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Ray Welker. Um, I make Cloud Solutions Architect with RightBrain Networks, and I'll be your host today. Uh, joining me, uh, as always, is our co-host, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Hello, everybody. All right, and today uh, we have a former guest, Tommy Francis. Definitely uh, excited to, to continue talking with him here today. If you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Yeah, long time, Tommy. It's been uh, been a little bit since we talked, and um, you know, today we'll continue talking on the topic of infrastructure as code. Hi, everyone, and thanks for having me back. I'm looking forward to it. So I know we've kind of uh, really dug into kind of a lot of the the nitty gritty of infrastructure as code. You know, uh, basic the basics, a little bit more of the in- uh, intermediate and the advanced topics of it. Don't really want to get into that full technical side of it today, but focus more on the training, kind of the, uh, maybe, maybe your experience with how you were onboarded onto, you know, adopting infrastructure as code practices and, um, maybe look what you can speak towards in terms of, uh, culture, um, how, how you're able to maybe influence, uh, say like a DevOps culture in your organization or other cultures you've seen just, just, uh, by working with others. Yeah, certainly. So I guess because my career started as a developer, uh, developer support at Microsoft, and then I went into the infrastructure side of things. So in my mind, I always had the idea of like, we should try and automate things if possible. So it's the same things sysadmins would often do is creating scripts. So through the years as a, as a, um, an admin, a systems admin, I would create scripts, but they were always just lots of, they were always just lots of random scripts here and there. There was nothing sure. really structured, right? Then early in the 2010s, I guess somewhere in the 2010s, I started discovering some tools to help with that stuff, like Puppet and Ansible and Chef. So I, I actually got quite into Chef early on, which was a good eye opener to, to realize there are stru- there are more structured ways of scripting things than just writing random scripts. Unfortunately, it was hard to get buy-in from the organization I was at to allow a tool such as Chef to actually do anything with power. There was a big, um, ha- anything having root access was frowned upon. So I ended up having, I developed these Chef scripts that could completely configure our um, web hosting environment, which had lots of virtual hosts in Apache. That was a pretty complicated setup. So I had some Chef recipes that would bash out all of that. Unfortunately, I couldn't use that in the end because of the, the root problem. So I tried to find ways to get these automations more visible by the organization so they could see the, the value of it. When you, when you were first introduced or just uh, started to introduce these, were you on a cloud platform at the time or was it more on-prem servers, virtual servers at least, or what did it look like? So this was still very much an on-prem environment. Um, this was a, a legacy enterprise IT environment. So we had lots of Unix servers. I think we were running AIX, which shudder. Um, we started getting some Linux 
servers for a new web farm that we built. So that was a bit more, I was a bit of a Linux geek as well. So that was more comfortable to, to script in Linux than it was in Unix and H, no, HPX was a previous place, but then um, AIX, nothing, nothing that works on Linux just works on AIX. So it can be tricky. So yeah, that, that was all on an on-prem environment, but we still didn't have any cloud infrastructure at that time. Later on, we actually acquired a company that had was already using the cloud, and that's how I really got into the cloud. But this journey started before then, if you like. One thing that we then, I, I still didn't have a way to really show how these automations were useful. And then one team, just by chance, they wanted to install, they wanted us to um, create a Jira installation for them. So I started playing around with that. I started learning what Jira did, and through symbiosis, I guess, I started learning about the other products. So we've got, case in point here is going to be Bamboo, where Bamboo was used to script a lot of the deployments. So we had a WebLogic server file, and a lot of the, all of our deployments were log into the server, SCP the file across, and just a whole lot of manual stuff. T takes a long time, error prone, awful. So I started creating some deployments in Bamboo that were just, it was still me writing my scripts, but now they were being controlled by Bamboo because they were new projects. We had a bit more authority to allow them to do their thing. And that started showing the company the efficiency of spending the upfront time to write these automations. That kind of grew, that kind of exploded even. Um, then it got to the point where pretty much all of our deployments were using Bamboo. And it was around that time that we acquired the cloud company. And that's when I started my cloud journey and I really discovered the next level of infrastructure as code because all I was doing before was really scripted deployments. So I wasn't using infrastructure yeah. as code at that point. I tried to a little bit with Chef and Ansible. That got blocked. So I'd gone back to the just regular old scripts, but using Bamboo and Jira to show the power of automation. And that that was what triggered the organization to, to see the value in spending effort to automate these things. Yeah, I was just going to say that's that's just really interesting because I mean, doing kind of doing that approach on prem is its own beast. It's it's kind of a completely different mindset and uh, kind of tool set from if you're you know uh, doing any of this in any form of like cloud infrastructure. Um, I've I've heard of similar like you can use Terraform for like Hyper V and provisioning things like that and more of a virtualized environment that you you host on your own infrastructure. But I think it's really creative what you what you demonstrate, and I feel like a lot of people who are sysadmins, myself included at the time, it's like you, you, you realize the power of automation and you kind of just want to continue to refine that and, uh, improve that process. It, it, it adds a lot to the business and like you demonstrating that case, I think is really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of why I was asking why, uh, you know, was this on-prem or cloud and you're saying, oh, we don't have fruit access. Because my journey, when I was introduced, we were already in the cloud or we just started going to the cloud and that's when it was kind of all at once, right? So ephemeral servers, immutable servers, infrastructure as code, we did it all at once. So that it was kind of a different, a different journey, right? I didn't have to worry about root access because we had root access to make the images and then that was it, right? There, we had immutable servers. So yeah, it's everyone has a, a different journey. I, I, I would dream of being able to work in that kind of environment where I could just be like, we can build things now. In, yeah. in enterprise IT, 
It's kind of like try to do your job. Well, you can do your job, but you can't automate your job because your hands are tied to you having to log in with long-lived credentials and all sorts of bad things like that. That was before we went into the cloud. So if we want to talk about like the the person aspect of it in training, I did want to say that as soon as I as soon as we acquired that company with um which was already in the cloud, I jumped straight onto that and I was like I was super involved and and passionately interested. And I I paid for my own A Cloud Guru subscription, <laughs> which is how my training started. So that that was really what happened. So up to that point, everything was just self-learned and and, and so on and so forth. So you learn how to use Chef and you use it. You work it out as you go along. But then I thought, if I'm going to be working with the cloud, I should learn a little bit about the cloud. Now, I had used um, AWS before. Back then, I thought it was just in up an EC2 instance. And yay, I've got a, I've got a server. When I did that first A Cloud Guru course, uh, it blew my mind. But honestly, as, as an ex-developer who then did infrastructure, who likes to put the two together and then discovering the the, the power of all of the, the utilities we have in the cloud, the, the API and all of the cloud formation and, and Terraform that we'll talk about. It was like, it's party time. I, I was yes. I was so excited to get to work on this stuff. And yeah, to be honest, that excitement hasn't really stopped. It's it's moved around since then, but I, I, I love this stuff. I think um, you have a really nice approach to that. Like, I always think of it as like, you got to crawl before you walk. Like it's, it's understanding yet yeah, you can use the tools, but you kind of need to understand the cloud or the environment you're working with in order to start kind of piecing the two together and leveling up how you're using those tools. So like, I, the way, the way that like I learned as well was, you know, doing a little bit of click ops, you know, let's go build a VPC. Let's go, you know, uh, get a CIDR range, um, allocated and divvy up my subnets and, you know, Click on things in the console in order to, you know, start making things, uh, making sense logically of like how these things, how these components fit together. And then, yeah, then at that point, it's like, well, let's simplify this. Let's write the infrastructure as code. Let's look at the documentation. Let's start writing out templates that I can deploy to various, you know, I can, I can repeat my code. Uh, I can repeat my deployments using the same code that is. Yeah. I think you yeah. got really, really nice answer to that, Tommy. Yeah. I, I had an interesting journey as a developer. Uh, I was kind of thrown into the infrastructure side of things. We were running on-prem, you know, servers in the closet, uh, moved to a co-location, but it was still, oh, you know, it was still a lot of work uh, that I was doing. And it was just like, you know, looking at AWS, it was like, okay, this is what I want. I was, as soon as Microsoft SQL Server came out in RDS, I did not want to manage clusters anymore. RDS, our, yeah, SQL Server clusters. So was, that was our, our journey to AWS and... Yeah, it's, each new thing, it gives me more and more excited. So, Ray, you, you touched on the term click ops, and I don't, I don't know if you want to go into the culture side of things yet, but I, I feel like that's a good segue into um, something I wanted to talk about. So do we want to talk any more about that journey part right now? Do you want to go into more about how I got into like CloudFormation or do we just, that, that was, yeah. I started my cloud journey and all that stuff comes with it, right? Right, it does. Um... I don't have too much else to say on the clip click op aspect of it, but, or like the training aspect of it. Um, I mean like uh, a couple things, um, you, you mentioned a really good one, a cloud guru. I definitely think that that is a great way to, uh, get up to speed with cloud DevOps, maybe any specific tooling as well. There's, there's definitely always a course out there. Uh, Udemy was, um, one I used for a while as well. And I know, um, 
previously I've used like WizLabs for certification and testing and just kind of, you know, getting merits. Always, always recommend official documentation for, for learning anything for, you know, information, CDK, Terraform, so on and so forth. And, you know, try, try to just kind of experiment as well as just some information. Like, uh, that's, that's, uh, a recommendation I would have, you know, uh, build things, tear them down. You can obviously stay in within the free tier, of a lot of services. So that's kind of how I learned. And I just think that, I think that's one of the, the best ways of learning. You can study and do test exams all you like, but until you start doing stuff and running into problems, it, it's when you have to solve a problem to do a thing. That's when it really sticks, right? Uh, yeah. Especially if you have to, yeah. And that that's why I really enjoy the uh, get, getting my hands dirty on this stuff still. So as my <laughs> career has developed, I've moved towards more of a solutions architect. And that can be tricky because that officially is more of a, a non-coding type role, depending on who you talk to. And But I definitely don't want to stop being technical, right? So it's um, it's hard trying to find that balance. But I wanted to, you, you mentioned the term click ops, and that's, that's an interesting thing because that's part of the big cultural problem I have found is let's say we've already gone, we've gone to the cloud and let's say early in our journey of going to the cloud, we were working directly with AWS. And one of the first things they tell you is codify everything. Even if you're, the, the recommendation is even if you're playing around, like trying trying something new, just do it with code. But you don't, right? You don't. You go into the console because it's easy. You go into the console, you click create an RDS cluster, you you do this, you do that, and it's easy because doing the code is, it feels like it's a lot harder. Just touching on that a little bit more, that feels like, that feels to be the case, that it's easier to go into click in the console. But quite often, I'll be in the situation where I want to change something or I want to I don't want to leave it up because it's costing. So I, I want to tear it down. And then next time I have to create it again manually. And that actually ends up being not easier than just doing the code in the beginning. But to those who aren't familiar with code, it's definitely easier doing it in the console. But that that's part of the culture problem is that there's still a mentality of, I just want to quickly do this thing. And yep. as an infrastructure solutions architect, you're constantly fighting that battle. So e even now, I'll I'll be automating um, things currently with Helm charts where all of the configuration for something is being fed into your Helm values file and it spits out a, a running application on the other end in, in Kubernetes. But there's still like, oh, can we just go in and change that configuration without having to go back through the code? It's like, well, that kind of breaks the whole thing. And it's, it can be hard to articulate that to someone who hasn't gone through that journey themselves. And that, that's one of the biggest challenges I have. And, and I've got yeah. a, I've got a, I've got a case study on that almost. Yeah. If you, if you wanted to comment first, then I can go into that. One, one moment, um, Tom, uh, Bill M had just a comment in the chat. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on that. It sounds like it's in regards to the training aspect that we were, that we were mentioning kind of onboarding, but. He's stating that as an organization, they have small stories queued up for new developers to work on. So that way they have something real to actually work on, but they're able to learn and get their feet wet. I, th I think that's a great idea. We, we, we do something similar with lear learning the concepts of AWS and deploying the small applications. Like doing something tangible and real is a great way to you know start learning what you need to do in a uh, real working environment.
I would just, you know, attest to what you were saying. That that's one of the hardest things that I've come across too is that cultural aspect. If you if it hasn't hurt enough, right? You don't you don't get it. Um, when I deal with people new, especially with serverless, they're you know always complaining. I don't have the control, right? Or there's cold starts and things like that. It's like, well, you haven't you know managed servers, right? In a highly available distributed right clusters. You'll appreciate not, you know, not having to do any of that to deal with like little, you know, gotchas here and there. But yeah, it's yeah, it's one of the hardest things unless you went through it, right, and had to deal with all of that. It's yeah. So just a quick question. Uh, so for the small stories that that Bill asked about for onboarding new developers, and Ray, you said you do the similar thing. We're talking like real product here, like just small chunks of real product, or like just examples, example exercises. Because if it's, I find if it's example exercises, I think there's a tendency not to really put your mind into it. But if it's real work, and even if it's just small chunks, then you 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 have to put your mind into it. And I see Bill that you clarified, yes, real work. So thanks. That that's a really I like that. Yeah, I think that's more meaningful than like, say, an example application or like an example service you're wanting to deploy out because there's there's not the same, uh, I guess, weight to it. Um, if, if you're doing something kind of in the sandbox versus, you know, uh, actually working to implement, you know, a new feature or something like that. Um, but but yeah, you're back to your point on culture. Definitely want to keep on that that topic. Um, you have a case study. Uh, I know that there's a lot of other um, organizations who've gone through a similar process and just uh, um, reshaping their DevOps culture in the organization. I'm I'm very curious to hear the one that you have. Um, so yeah, if we could expand expand on that. Case study might be a bit of a strong word. I just I, I couldn't find a suitable expression without leaving a big pause. But um, it's one of my colleagues that I used to work with. He he came from the Unix team. Um, so. That was part of the problem with the the root access was the the servers were theirs right they they controlled the servers and um no one else could do anything on them so if we came up with ideas for scripting then it was no but i digress so he came from that background unix sysadmin and he started um he was one of the people that was brought into the cloud team so i, I after we acquired that company i i really pushed for cloud and creating a team for the cloud and we got a cloud team created and he was one of the um, one of the earlier members of of that cloud team. And I, I do remember very early on that he would comment about um, a lot of the stuff I had done, a lot of these complicated automations, and I think we were using Packer to build cloud formation templates. And it to him, I remember him saying it seemed like a lot of overkill just to get something small done. And I'm like, well. It is what it is, right? We're automating this. This is the work it takes. So fast forward, not even a year. He's been getting more involved with the cloud stuff. He's really started doing some of the some of the cloud formation and scripting himself. He's had the headaches of going into the console or someone else going into the console and doing something and changing something and it turning into a mess. After that period of time, around a year, he completely changed his tune and he's like, I completely understand why we do it like this. He recognized that he used to think it was dumb, but now it makes sense. And he it really highlighted to me that although some people might be able to just look at why we do something this way, they might just get it. For a lot of people, they're going to have to go through that journey. And he, he is my 
he's my case study of that being the case. Like he he really excelled, and I think he's like one of the lead members of the cloud team there now. So he's really taken to this new culture, but he had to go through it. He hated it in the beginning. He went through it. Now he loves it, and uh, that that's that was my example. I, I think it's a good example of 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 how living that journey can show some of the value in it. Yeah, I think from like the tech side, there, there's a we have a different perspective than like say maybe the or an organization's buy into why they might want to like shift the focus of uh, you know let's let's uh, have like comprehensive DevOps strategies. Um, so like from our perspective, yes, it makes our jobs easier. We can deploy things faster, uh, more precisely. Uh, we can you know have our code uh, version. We can have our infrastructure as code versioned. You know, we can revert back to a prior commit if needed, and uh, we we can try we can try and be pretty agile and deploy things quickly and in repeatable manners. Like that helps us, and like I think like organizations have a lot of uh, drive as well to say to shift the DevOps culture because they have like KPIs they're trying to to um, either meet and or establish. Like, well, we want to you know we want to reduce our deployments our the time that it takes to deploy to say production or time to take to, it takes to get out new features. And like, you gotta, you kind of have to like, as an entire organization, buy into that mentality. Cause it's like, it's, it's bigger than just your dev team or your ops team, like adopting this principle. It's like, you have to, you know, you have to work with your, your product release team as well in order to uh, help them with their KPIs and, you know, drive what, you know, are, are the underlying, sales goals that they're maybe trying to, you know, say to a new client to, on how often we release new features, um, so on and so forth like that. Like there's a lot of different, um, components of an organization that need to buy into that philosophy, I feel like, but yeah, that's, that's a really interesting case in that, in that organization. And I, yeah, it definitely seems like he, uh, you know, he's drinking the Kool-Aid now. It's, yes. uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> There's another case study I just wanted to share. This is something I dug out when I was looking into this the other day, which is from actually from 2017. So it is a little bit older, but it's around that mentality of uh, an organization buying into a comprehensive DevOps strategy. And that was with that British multinational banking and financial service, which is Barclays. They spent 18 months just overall re-engineering their team and implementing and adopting a new DevOps strategy. I mean, they had an overall goal uh, to reduce deployments to production in that case or deployment to a single system. They were previously deploying, it would take 56 days in order to do that. And then they essentially got that down to a four-week time frame. So quite quite a bit by, you know, reducing the amount of time it took and just adopting a new philosophy. That's like they had over a thousand people they had to train. And, you know, the fact that you're a financial service giant like that, that's such a large undertaking. It it seems like for, for something that like an entire country is dependent upon, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to reinvent that. I, I, I've seen companies, well, I've had experience with going through these kind of reinventing themselves and, and we're going to go for the, we're going to implement a DevOps or cloud strategy. I've the experiences I've had of that have been, I think, suboptimal because a lot of the time 
there seems to be, and, and I understand this from the business side, there's, a, there's an impetus to get some projects released on this new platform before the platform is necessarily ready because we can't invest money in this uh, new direction without showing it working with, with an application. Now, if you've got, uh, especially in the finance sector, if you've got to, you've got to have a lot of guardrails and processes in place before you should really be deploying any applications in that environment. That can take a lot of work without showing anything. It sounds like Barclays, I, I don't know the details of how they went through this migration, but it, it feels like they probably spent the appropriate time up front to get it ready before they started deploying deploying applications in, in using this new new way. I think to do that, you need the right leadership that really understands the value of getting the get getting all the building blocks done properly in the beginning, rather than I, I think a lot of the time leadership they think yes, we'll we'll use the cloud, we'll use DevOps. But we need to do that bit quickly so that we can get this application out in a, in a, in like a month, and then you're like, okay, well, we can't we can't get our service control policies, our landing zone, all of, we can't do all of the things correctly in time to get that application released. So we release that application, and then we start getting down the age old problem of technical debt, and you never get time to actually get the platform up to that mature level. Um, so I th I think the leadership having that a deep understanding of um, how, how how these environments should look at, at the base level. I think that's very important. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I would definitely yeah. agree with that. You, you, you do need the leadership and then the leadership needs to identify key individuals to help implement this and, and train up. I, I, I'm just thinking about it in the, the way of like, how are they going to train 10,000 people? It's like you need you need kind of champions. You need uh, you need champions that buy into this idea and are able to you know push their weight around in order to make this new deployment process possible. I'm holding back here, but I think you know it's when you say train ten thousand people. There's a issue of of boundaries, right, and and ownership and responsibilities within that organization. There shouldn't be any change that you're doing should you know, it should be small enough that you can make with a single team and then slowly come up. Right. That's so I don't know. I, I would be intrigued. I'd like to read it, but every time I've seen like a top down, Hey, we're doing this, right. It's, it's just bad. It, ta it takes a lot longer. It, it, if they're forcing an implementation, that's, that's where it's bad. It needs to be, this is the direction, right. And then empowering yes. those teams, uh, giving them the resources, uh, you know, the direction of what you want, uh, that good communication structures within them, uh, and how that's implemented. But yeah, it's just, whenever I, you know, whenever I see that, of oh, we're, you know, top down, we need to implement Terraform, you know, and everything. It's like, that's, that's not going to help anybody. And they're like, oh, well, you know, Synergy and, you know, it's, uh, you know, the same tool people can go across teams. That's, it's ne never works out. You know, it, it should be on that team to, you know, here is what your responsibilities are. Here's the, the contract, right, of working with other teams. Go ahead and implement whatever you need to do to get there, you know, yes. within the constraints, right, of the company security, everything else. But, but yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I think like more so, yeah, same. I agree with you there. 
I think there does need to be some form of tangible direction from, um, say, like from a leadership team. Uh, like, yes, we need to. Uh, well, it has it has to be metrics based in my mind and data driven. Like, okay, we need to understand where we're at and where we are looking to go. So maybe it's a company becoming like a a SaaS company and how they how they offer offer their product. So maybe they're trying to move to that more than like you know a service based approach. So it's like you have to have you have to give your team members the resources and uh, the flexibility to move towards that towards that model. So yeah, it's not like hey, here's you know you're using Terraform nowadays, or you know we're going to rewrite our entire application and gut all our Java developers, and we're going to write it in Python now. <laughs> like like maybe not that that's probably not the best approach, but like a, a drive or a direction to to point your team in to maybe uh to to have a better overall DevOps culture in the organization. Um, but it meets some it, it provides business values in a way. Yeah. Enabling that the culture, right? Not saying we need pipelines to be faster, right? Like that's not, it's not it. No, that's not it. That can maybe be a, a Jira card after if you find a slow one or something like that. Yeah, there's too many sleep statements in it. Certainly, in in I think maybe in some of the larger organizations where you have a lot of um, technical silos, that you'll you'll have like the DB administrators, the Unix administrators, the 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 middleware guys, or whatever. I think that can be challenging for the organization as well because if you're and if you're enabling the developers to build their applications, depending on the level of cloud services that they're going to use, you you need to give them the power to do those things. But sometimes it can be like, well, no, you can't create a database, you're a developer. So you can't create a, a cloud formation script that builds your stack you have to get the database team to build a cloud formation script that builds the database. Uh, and we want to, that it can be hard to get rid of the siloing sometimes in, in the organization. Yeah. And I don't know if that's through fear of loss of, like loss of responsibility or what, but it, it can be a problem as well. That, that is the problem. No, I completely agree. That That is the problem right there. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having, you know, a, a team that is developers or, um, you know, infrastructure database, but it needs to be clearly defined, right? Those teams, I like to say, need to operate as separate companies. There needs to be a clear contract with what their responsibilities are, you know, SLAs with the other teams, uh, documentation, right? How do you interact with that team? How do you get those resources, right? So it's it's very clear. And that that's what the leadership needs to focus on, making sure that there is that clarity um, you know, b between the teams and it's very, you know, how they communicate what their responsibilities are, making that very transparent throughout the organization and, you know, enabling them, uh, it's where they need to focus on instead of, you know, you need to start using Terraform everybody or everyone needs to go to AWS by this date, which, which it can be set, right? You can do that. Hey, we have, uh, you know, certain obligations here or, uh, you know, requirements or, you know, we're getting a big savings or whatever, uh, if we migrate all of our workloads, but it needs to, you need to empower the teams to, to, to do that. Right. Versus the, the top down, this is how you implement it to get there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That does make a lot of sense. I would like to see in Bar Barclays case, like with an organization that no. large, how they went about it. 
Um, maybe further in the case study, I can, uh, I can do that, but I've, I've, I've read the overall, um, gist of what it was. And obviously that's coming from, uh, you know, here's a PR piece. <laughs> We've re we, 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 uh, yeah. re-engineered our DevOps approach. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely good stuff. Another good, good thing that I, I did spread around a little bit was, um, sharing a copy of the Phoenix project. It, it was quite good. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that book. Yes. Yeah, I, I recommend all, reading all of those. Phoenix Project, Unicorn, DevOps Handbook, Continuous Delivery, Accelerate, I think it's called. That's a really good one. No, they're now on my Kindle. So. <laughs> <laughs> the most mandatory reading for us is the uh, Phoenix Project for anybody new coming in. Yeah. Um, so you were agreeing with the direction you're, you're saying, like the organization has to kind of back, kind of back the direction and help individuals or team members grow in that new direction. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it was hard when we started. And in fact, I, I don't think we're there yet, but when we started the journey, we didn't have the upper management backing. It was kind of ground roots from the department, the development department down without leadership being on board and we ran into roadblock after roadblock just trying to get through you know tool selection hiring the right people changing the type of people we were hiring going away from the traditional sysadmin to hiring a developer who could do some of the sysadmin automation that that has continued to be a struggle for us um just because the leadership doesn't see the overall benefit um, that we do, you know, kind of on the, the line side of things. And we've gone from 76 day development cycle down to about 24. So we've done the right things, but still, you know, it's an uphill battle. They're focused on other stuff. It's interesting you say about um, hiring developers rather than sysadmins. So I think that that's, that's one of the, the big challenges um, is a lot of the time organizations are pulling from their sysadmin pool or looking for new sysadmins because they are the ones who look after infrastructure typically. I, I'm very lucky. I, I feel it was a great combination that I started my career doing developer support because then I, I feel like it's combining the both. But you need developers now. So a lot of the times you get sysadmin, you, you go to the sysadmins and start getting them to do some um, coding bit like Helm charts or Terraform modules or whatever. And they don't actually have any development practices to go on. They don't know how to use version control. They have all those problems. And you get, you still get a lot of manual processes just done in code. So like for different environments, mm -hmm. they'll have a completely different set of code for one environment and for an, and this environment and that environment because they don't really, they haven't got that software development background to, to understand that they could maybe do more reusable code and parameterize it. So you, right. you've got the code, but you don't have the benefits of the code. So yeah, going going to the developers, getting developers that can do infrastructure is powerful, but then that that hurts the existing pool of sysadmins. So it's very it gets very political. Yeah, you said it earlier when you talked about scripting, right? In my older generation or, you know, longer longer term sysadmins have scripted everything. But all those scripts are sitting on their desktop. They're not in Git, right? They're not in Artifactory, right? So even that, it's not reusable code. It's reusable yeah. for them. 
to try to get everybody to think in that new mindset has, uh, you know, when I get kids out of college, that's great. You know, they're ready to, they're ready to roll that that's the only way they've been taught. Um, but then they don't know how to do sysadmin work because that's not taught in school. So they come out, I got a good Python program or I got somebody who knows chef or Ansible, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing in the back end. So, the, you know, for, for me, it's, it's teaming up a, uh, 15 year sysadmin with a, uh, with a six month out of college, uh, programmer having them work together. It's interesting. Cause that, that's another, as you said, that's another side of the challenge is that if you haven't had those years of sysadmin, you don't know all of the, yeah, you don't have all the, you don't know all those gotchas and you, you're not going to be able to like sysadmin your way around a problem and to try to know where to dig in to find a problem. Right. So that pairing the sysadmin and the developer, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. I feel like a lot of sysadmins um, who, who know how to code and know how to script, it's like they get they eventually move to um, kind of a DevOps or cloud engineering position and then they like reshift, they reshift their, their, their career in a way. You know, I, I still find there's a lot of value in um, a lot of sysadmins. Um, it's actually kind of a thread I was reading this morning a little bit and got me thinking, it's like, I, I feel like, and maybe this is just me, like the mentality of, sh uh, of sysadmins has kind of shift to more of that click op style, but, um, really like you can find some really great sysadmins out there. And I, I feel like if they were, um, you know, the, either themselves learning up on, um, you know, versioning, uh. Uh, source control, uh, great security practices, you know, cloud architecture and so on and so forth. They can be, they can be some of the strongest individuals, um, when it comes to, um, like shaping a DevOps within a, within an organization, but, but yeah, your approach there with pairing them up with, you know, people fresh out of college, I think, I think that's a great way to kind of bridge the two skill gaps there. And they're going to learn off each other as well, as well yeah. right? So the, the sysadmin is going to start picking up development best practices and the, the developer is going to start learning how tricky it can be to find problems sometimes yeah it, it's it's pretty cool to see when you have somebody who's been doing this you know they take a linux sysadmin for the last 15 years and all of a sudden this kid comes out of college and is able to, in 15 minutes to program what what we used to take him 10 hours to do a week and all of a sudden it's done he's like wow what what have i been missing all this yeah it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun to see that happen now yeah. i i'm way past coding so i'm not like you guys i haven't touched the keyboard from that perspective in a long time but my team has so well it sounds like you have a lot of great insights and we really appreciate you um you know joining us on stage and asking some questions bill it's been it's been great no same with you tom like tom and tommy definitely a great I feel like we covered a lot here you know got some experience around uh your experience around training um kind of onboarding process as well as uh you know how you can shift culture within an organization just through just through um, you know DevOps. Yeah, next week uh, we'll be hearing from Jason Brown as well as uh, Preston Fraser and Tom Kowalski around the topic of uh, cost optimization strategies. Again, thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope to hear you. Uh, you know, be